0: Well, good morning again, it's good to be with you, and please look with me at Mark chapter 6, that's where we're going to be this morning. Mark chapter 6, last week we considered the confusing timing of Jesus, and this morning we're going to consider the offensive message of Jesus. We see everything, everything about who Jesus is, everything about how he does his ministry. It it turns the world on its head. It, It turns the wisdom of the world and makes it look so foolish. But he loves taking the foolish things of the world and lifting them up and shaming the wise, of turning everything upside down. We see that again here in this passage. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's how... Paul puts it at the beginning of his letter, and here we see exactly that same thing in uh, Mark's gospel, how Jesus conducts his ministry and what he does. So let's read this passage uh, about uh, this, this message that can be so offensive at times, but this is the good news of Jesus. So follow along with me, I'm going to read uh, beginning in verse 1, Mark chapter 6. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, "'Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon?' And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching and he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits he charged them to take no uh, to take nothing for their journey except a, a staff no bread no bag no money in their belts but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics and he said to them whenever you enter a house stay there until you depart from there and if any place will not receive you and uh, and they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil those who were sick and healed them. God, we pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word Father, please bless us with your presence as you minister to our needs. We pray uh, for the Spirit's conviction in the areas of our lives that need to change. And we also pray for the Spirit's comfort and encouragement that we would know and we would truly believe that we are not strangers here, but we are sons and daughters of the Most High King. We pray all this in, in your holy name, in Jesus' name, amen. The message of Jesus is offensive. It's kind of weird to say, isn't it, that, that Jesus is offensive, but, but it's true. We, we see how the message, it, it brings offense. And we're taking both of these sections in Mark's gospel together because uh, it shows the connection that uh, Jesus, his message is offensive. And if you follow Jesus, you can be offensive too. <laughs> and you will be offensive to the world for what you believe and for who you follow. And we want to talk about both of these things. The message of Jesus that is offensive, and if we follow Jesus wholeheartedly, we will be offensive as well. Let's just jump right in to this passage. Let's consider why this message is so offensive, and then also let's consider the disciples' mission that Jesus sends them on and and how that also brings offense and what that might mean for us today. But first, the, the the offensive message of Jesus. It's offensive because it strikes against everything that the world values. It's offensive because of everything that we talked about last week, it turns the world on its head. It it makes the world's wisdom look foolish. It makes a mockery out of what the world values. So this, this message of Jesus and his kingdom, it offends... Everybody, it offends everything, every group of people. There, there's n- no one, no corner, no, no belief, no worldview that, that people can have that Jesus will not directly confront. In chapter 3, uh, we saw how Jesus he healed this man on the Sabbath and the Pharisees are, are furious at him because uh, Jesus was demonstrating their own hypocrisy and the own hardness of their heart. They were not uh, living with integrity towards God's law, but they used it as a, as a status symbol to show how, how great and righteous they were. But they were far from, from God. Their hearts were far from Him. They despised Jesus for showing this, so they immediately go and they start plotting with the Herodians. And we have these two groups of people. We have the Pharisees and, and the Herodians, completely different groups of people. We It'd be hard for us to compare. Even even the, the the farthest ends of the spectrum that we could think of between a right wing and, and left wing, they find common ground in their their hatred of Jesus because his message is offensive. You have the socially conservative, religiously conservative Pharisees on the one hand, and then you have those who are, are loyal to Herod and and who who are loyal to the, the dreaded Roman rule and the Roman government on the other. They find common cause. Because Jesus and the message he brings offends them. And now we get to our passage and we see that even his own family, even his own hometown, even, even small town Nazareth, even uh, not just the, the, the big influential groups and, the, and the, the, the people with the nice houses and the, the cushy government jobs, they're offended by Jesus' message, but so is small town. They're offended as well. So is his hometown of Nazareth. It was a very uh, small, small village. Uh, They estimate around 500 people might have lived there during Jesus' time. Everybody knew Jesus. He was was known. Everybody knew everybody. But as he comes home, he's unwelcome. They took offense at him. That's, That's the key in this passage that we see here. They were astonished. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. They couldn't believe what they were hearing from him. Do you remember the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis? We have Joseph. He's one of the, uh, the uh, second to youngest son of Jacob. He'd later be renamed Israel. Um, but he has 12 sons. Joseph's one of the youngest of them. And uh, he's the most loved son of Jacob. And Jacob absolutely plays favorites. It's never a good idea to play favorites uh, with your kids, but he does. He gives uh, Joseph the best gifts. He loves Joseph. But Joseph, he, he doesn't help his cause either with his brothers who are already jealous of him. But he has these dreams, and maybe it would have been more wise to keep them to himself. But he, he goes and he tells his brothers, hey, I had this crazy dream. We were out uh, sheaving grain, and then in my dream, my sheaf stood up tall and all of yours circled around and bowed down to mine. Isn't that, that crazy? What a crazy dream. And his brothers are furious. He has another dream. I dreamed in the sun and the moon and 11 stars. That's an interesting number 11 stars. They're all bowing down to me. What a, what a crazy dream. And they're furious. Who does this guy think he is? So they plot to sell Joseph. His brothers sell Joseph into slavery send him down to Egypt to get rid of this annoying little brother that they can't stand. But here's the thing. Joseph, he goes down to Egypt, but you know the story. God raises him up into prominence with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh appoints him to oversee the grain during this terrible famine, and his brothers... Years later, they don't even recognize him, but his brothers, they travel down to Egypt, and they do bow at his feet in need of grain. Joseph's dreams, they're, they're fulfilled in that moment. But, even more so, and, and here's what I, the connection I wanted us to see, even more so, does Joseph point us to a true and better Joseph? to this one who was rejected by his family as well, but to one who was absolutely worthy of all the praise, who was worthy of his family to bow down to him as every person in all nations and all peoples were called to bow down and to give him worship. You see, this is Christ. This is Jesus. Jesus yet he was rejected by his family, the very ones that he came to save, because they can't accept his message. They can't accept that there'd be anything special about this man that they they grew up with, that they knew from his youth. So notice what they say about Jesus. Is this not the carpenter? Is this not the, the carpenter? There's nothing special about this guy. He thinks he's some kind of big shot. He thinks he has some kind of, that he has some kind of title, some kind of a status, that he's, he's got this big following and, and crowds gathering around him. Doesn't he know where he came from? Who does he think he is? It's offensive to them that someone with the claims of Jesus, with the teachings that he teaches with, and, and it's, it's indisputable what he's saying. He's teaching as one with authority. He's teaching as one who has learned his Bible. But he had no training. He was just a carpenter. It was offensive that this man could make such claims, that he could even be seen as some special teacher, even a Messiah that might have come. That such a person would come from such an unremarkable profession, such a simple profession in that time as a carpenter. But you see, God loves, He loves to use the foolishness of the world and, th- and the things of the world that people would disregard, He loves to use those things to make fools out of the wise. So are you frustrated with your job? Do you view your job as some lowly job? Does the world view your job as some lowly job. It's always a temptation for us to find our worth, to find our identity in what we do. We can feel uh, worthless at times because of the, the values that the world would assign to us. But what we have to remember, what we see right here, right away, is that our worth is never tied to our work. But our worth is tied to the God who loves us, who has saved us, and who has called us to be In his family. So we see that right away. Jesus, his humble beginnings, his humble profession. God loves to use that to to use that to shame the wise. What else do they say about him, though? They say, "Is, Is this not the son of Mary? Now that's an interesting one. Is this not the son of Mary? It would have been much more common. We would have expected them to say, is this not the son of Joseph? Joseph and Mary were were wed. Now, it's possible at this point in time that Joseph had passed away. We don't know. But even still, it would have been much more common for them to have said, isn't this the son of the father, not the son of the mother? If it really was the case that they thought he was the son of the father. You See, so here's the thing. In this small town, they didn't. Think he was Joseph's son. The rumors had spread. They knew that something had shady, something shady had happened with Joseph and Mary. He was Mary's son, but he wasn't Joseph's son. So can you imagine the the scandal that Mary and Joseph would have endured in their faithfulness to God? And and that word to take offense, that's that's the word that we get from the Greek. Uh, a scandalized. It was a scandal, and it, certainly it was a scandal. It was offensive to them and to the world that Jesus would have been a son born out of wedlock. But God takes what is offensive to the wisdom of the world, and he uses it for his glorious ends. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was Uh, born of the Virgin Mary, conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. What a scandalous thing to the world. But this was the glory of God bringing about and providing a Savior, a Savior who was both fully God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and yet still fully man, fully human. Born of the Virgin Mary, having her DNA, yet born without the stain of sin, without the stain of Adam's first guilt. So a true, uh, a true Savior, both God and man in the one person. But it was a scandal to the world. They list his, his brothers there too. And these were Jesus, these were his true biological brothers, um, half-brothers, right? Same mom, but, but different dad. So they, what they were saying was true, but they didn't understand the big picture. They didn't, couldn't see how God was working through this. But here we see, and we, we know that people can sometimes speculate just um, maybe these weren't Jesus' biological brothers, maybe they were cousins, maybe they were kinsmen, they want to per- keep some kind of doctrine of, of Mary's uh, perpetual uh, virginity. We don't need to believe that. We can take uh, the word of God as, as it is here. These were his biological brothers. They were related to him. Uh, Joseph and Mary, they had these children together after Mary had given birth to Jesus So they list his his brothers here by name. They mention his sisters. But like the Joseph of Genesis, Jesus too, he had some brothers that weren't too fond of his message. They didn't appreciate all the fame that he was getting. They took offense to him. We saw in chapter 3 how they were telling people that this Jesus, he was out of his mind. Our brother's out of his mind. Don't listen to him. But here's the thing, just like the Joseph in Genesis, what mankind meant for evil, God meant for good. That's the conclusion that Joseph comes to and he tells his brother at the end of Genesis what his brothers meant for evil and selling him into slavery, selling him uh, down to Egypt. God was actually working. God was operating sovereignly through that whole process to bring about good to bring about the saving of many from that famine. So what mankind meant for evil, God meant for good. When his family turned on him, when the religious leaders conspired with the political leaders of the day to crucify and execute the Son of God, Christ himself, what they meant for evil, true evil, the most evil, wicked thing to ever happen in the history of humanity, the crucifying of of the eternal Son of God incarnate. What they meant for evil, God had purposed for good. God used that evil to bring about the ultimate good of His once-for-all perfect sacrifice to atone for the sins of His people. And that is the gospel message. This is the message. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, who bore your sins in his body, on the tree, who died the death that you deserve to die so that you could live the life that you had lost, that was forfeit to you in the garden. He suffered the wrath of God that was rightly laid against you, but now instead in place, you receive his mercy, you receive his grace when you put your faith in him, when you receive him. By his wounds, you are healed. That's the message. This is what Paul says in Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. See, so now we're getting to the offensiveness of this message. What is the message? It's by grace that we've been saved, and it's not your own doing. Oh, but I, I want it to be my own doing. It doesn't doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't make sense to the world. It's the gift of God, not the result of work so that no one can boast. There is no boasting in our achievements. There's no, no boasting when it comes to our salvation. The only boast we can make is boasting in our Savior who is mighty to save. He's the one who's done it all. But we don't want to hear that sometimes. We want to know how we can make ourselves better. We want to know how we can fix our own problems, how we can make ourselves strong, how we can get a part of that glory for ourselves and look at our own accomplishments and and say, look how much I've done. That's not how it works, but God does not share his glory with us, and that's a good thing. But God says that it's while we are weak that his power shines forth. Again, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, Paul's reflecting on his time and and he writes that God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul writes, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, and with calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the message of, of Christ. It, it, it offends our worldly sensibilities. That I'm to delight in what makes me weak. That I'm, I'm to find joy in my hardships. That I'm to die to self, I'm to give up on myself and give it all to Christ. That I must lay aside my desire for worldly treasures, but to store up treasures in heaven. That I'm supposed to be okay when I'm being wronged. That I'm supposed to forgive my brother, not just seven times, but 70 times seven. That that doesn't make any sense. It makes little sense in the eyes of the world. But remember, for the word of the cross it's folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's the offensive message of Jesus. And when we are following Jesus, when we are seeking to live like Him wholeheartedly, then we will be offensive to the world too, and that's the second thing that we see. I want to get into the disciples' mission here. Let's let's look at their mission that Jesus sends them. He sends them out to do. We see that in verses seven through thirteen. I won't read it again for us, but just notice. First of all, we saw last week how Jesus was really bad at. Uh, uh, doing any kind of medical triage and determining who had the the best need, but he was always working above all that to provide what people truly needed. Well, here, he sends his disciples out with the worst strategy ever, (laughs) With, with no supplies. What kind of rations, what kind of gear does he send his people out with? Why does he send them out with such paltry supplies and tools? Well, it's because the success of their mission was not going to be in the strength of their persons, was not going to be in the might of their equipment, but it was going to be in the power of God to save. Now, up to this point in Mark's gospel, uh, Jesus has encountered a lot of success, uh, but uh, now he's, he's, we, we see some setbacks. And his disciples are going to experience some of this too. They're, they're expected as they go out that they're going to be rejected. They're being sent out to be rejected. We're told that uh, Jesus, if we look back up a little earlier, he doesn't do many miracles. He's not able to do many miracles, it says. And that's, that's a weird thing for Mark to say. That's odd. What, what happened? Did, uh, did he run out of power? Did that lady hemorrhaging blood, did, did she sap too much power out of him? Evelyn's shaking her head, no. yes. Good work. You, you already know the answer. Of course not. That's not true. Jesus didn't run out of power. It's not that he ceased to be the omnipotent son of God, but this was God's judgment against his hometown for the lack of their belief. It was the lack of, of their faith. He marveled because of their unbelief. Faith is the means by which God brings about the salvation of his people by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But the people, they had no faith. They rejected Christ, and his disciples are going to experience that same thing as well as they go out in their mission. They're given instructions to go and to spread the message, but if people don't listen, they're to shake off the dust uh, from their feet as a testimony against them. It was required in rabbinic law, if, if any uh, people, any Jewish people were to travel out into any of the pagan countries to do business or whatever, as they were returning, before they crossed the border, they were to shake the dust off of their feet so that they would not bring any contamination back into the country. But Jesus here, he's not sending them out of the country, he's sending them out to the Jewish people, the lost children of Israel. And if they don't have faith in Christ... Jesus is saying to them that they are to treat them as they would treat a gentile. That's the dividing line. That's the offensive message of Jesus. So we're told that the disciples they go out, they do have success, but they also face rejection. And we're told that they go out and they proclaim that the people are to repent, verse 12. It's not a not a very popular message. But it's the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation, to repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is here. So here's the point of application for us. We are all called, like the disciples here, not called necessarily to have the exact kind of, of explicit evangelistic kind of mission like we see here exactly. But we are called to live on mission and to live on message. We're called to live for Christ no matter the cost. We're called to share this radical message with the world that's absolutely against it. And Jesus tells us what we can expect when we do so. He says, if the world hates you, just know that it's hated me first. And we are not better, we're not greater than our master. But rather, we're to count it a joy to follow in his footsteps, knowing even if the world rejects us, even if the world rejects everything we're about, we should know that we're never rejected by Christ when we come to him in faith. The Father never rejects us. He never will. If the world rejects us, then so what? So be it. But we have our Father in heaven. But living for Christ, it doesn't make sense to the world. It really doesn 't and if you're living for Christ you've, you've experienced this I'm sure we all have experiences with this and you will have more and more as you are living out your faith in everyday life. you don't have to go looking to make offense, but offense will come and find you. you're telling your coworker that you aren't going to take that promotion, even though it'd be a lot more money, but you know that it would be so much more time and commitment, and it's more important for you to be with your family. It doesn't make sense to the world. Why wouldn't you take the money? No, because you have your priorities straight. You're going to tell the world, you're going to tell your friends that you aren't going to live together before you get married. They're going to think you're crazy. And it is crazy in the world, to the world. It makes so much more sense. Why would you pay for two rents instead of, of for one. Why would you not want to try out living together before you make such a commitment? Of course, there needs to be some kind of, of time to test things out together. That's, that's the wisdom of the world talking, though. That's the wisdom of the world, and it's foolishness in God's eyes. But we don't belong to the world. We belong to Christ. And we we're called to bear witness to Christ in our lives and in our actions and that how, we, how we treat others. And now, here's, here's the other thing. We can be offensive for Jesus, but there's a, there's a difference between our actions, the way we conduct ourselves. By nature, will be offensive to the world's values. There's a difference between that and being combative for Jesus. There's a difference between that and, and seeking out areas and ways to be offensive. This does not mean that we are ever combative. This does not mean that we, uh, that we wouldn't always, and we always must treat others with love and with respect, even as we're firm in our commitments. But we're called to bear testimony. We're called to bear testimony to our Savior, not, not to be conquerors for Him. This is an important, important point in this, because we're living in this world that is in so many ways crumbling around us. In so many ways, doesn't make any sense to us in so many ways, is scary to us. But no matter what else is true, there's one thing that's true. Is Jesus is, he's never calling us to be a bully for his kingdom. We're never called to be jerks for Jesus. That's, that's not what we're called to be. We're called to be faithful where he's put us. We're called to stay on mission, to stay on message, to be faithful with exactly what God has given us to be faithful to. We, we don't need to be looking for controversy. We don't need to be looking to give a, offense. It will come soon enough to us when we are being faithful where God has called us to be. And when we are being faithful, these opportunities, uh, there will be opportunities to, to call others to come and to follow this Savior, this wonderful Savior we serve who has given us everything. All right, so where does that leave us this morning? Uh, Just one uh, point of application, one thing to remember as we close here this morning is just to remember again, to remember what the gospel is really, but to remember that the gospel, it is offensive, but the most offensive aspect of the gospel The most offensive aspect of it is that God himself is the one who died for you so that you might live for him. The the wisdom of the world, and sometimes we can think this way as well, that isn't it so offensive that God wants you to live this certain way for him? He wants you to pursue this holiness and to, to, to follow his commandments. And isn't that oppressive? Isn't that offensive? That's not the, the, the offense of the gospel. We cannot let the world twist our understanding to think that the offensive part of the gospel is that you are called to live for Christ. No. The offense of the gospel is that Christ, the perfect man, the eternal Son of God, died for you. That's the offense of the gospel. Like Christ, and he has absolute uh, all right over you. He's purchased you with a price. He has absolute claim over your life. But he does not lord it over you like a master over a slave. But he died for you so that he might live for you. That he might live in you. That he might forever live with you not as a stranger, not as a slave, but as a friend, as a son of God, sons and daughters of the living God. That is the offensive message of the gospel. We must always remember that. Keep that perspective in our minds of all that Christ has done for us. It truly is good news. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to always remember the message of the gospel, uh, that you have died for us, Do not let us be conformed to this world, but be renewing our minds, be working in us to transform us, to conform us into the image of Christ. We pray that you do this work in us by your Spirit, O Heavenly Father, because of your Son, whom you love, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.